Welcome to Symptoms of a Creative Mind. I am your host, Zabrana Bastard, writer, musician, traveler, all-around creative type person. The purpose of this podcast is to share snippets of my life. Part of what makes being an adventure seeker so amazing for me is all the interesting people I have met along my travels. So I'm using this platform to introduce you to the ones I know and the ones I'd like to know better. Together, we'll dive headfirst into our passions and the driving force behind them, giving us all a chance to dig a little deeper into what it means to be human. I always want to, yeah, see that, it, uh, everybody always turns my mic off. I, now, now it's because of what I'm saying, though, instead of what I'm doing. I like that better. Ah. Yeah, yeah, that's Joe's brother. Hey, okay, Joe, listen, you got to tell your brother to stop. Hey, isn't this music night not comedy? What's that? Hey, all my music is comedy. That's for sure. And all my comedy is music. To whose ears? Man, I don't give a fuck. There's nobody here. Hey, we're here. What, am I nobody? Yeah, what, no. Am I, I will berate you each in your own turn. Am I fucking chopped liver or what? I'm like your fucking, I'm like that fucking chick you see in the back of the magazine with the black clothes on and the whip telling you what to do. You guys pay for that shit. I'm doing this shit for free. I'll be the chick in the black clothes right here. Nobody tells me, nobody tells me what to do, nobody tells me what to do, and especially nobody with a vagina tells me what to do. And, you know, watch it. I'm, I'm here to offend. I, in fact, and, and, it, I'm going to make everybody, I, I want everybody to leave. I want, I, in fact, specifically, I want you to leave. God damn it. Hey, security! Get this chick out of here. God damn it. Dave's not here right now. <laughs> what? This is a test. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should do that. The broadcast. The broadcast. Jesus. This is the broadcast. I'm uh, you in a fucking cast. Oh my god. Third. <laughs> welcome to the third episode of Symptoms of a Creative Mind. I have with me today the infamous Bradley Petrovich from Tacoma. Infamous, I like that. Infamous, yeah. He is the lead singer for 13 Scars. He is the only soul creator. Behind. Surviving member? Surviving member of Evil Ted. I wore all those motherfuckers out. Sorry. Can I say motherfucker in this? <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Okay. And uh, he is also a painter and a writer and is getting ready to put out his book, The Last Laugh. Painter and writer. That depends on who you talk to. You sell your paintings. I think that makes you a painter. Well, like my old girlfriend said, I paint like a kindergartner. Well, do kindergartners sell their paintings for thousands of dollars? I sold my kid's first painting when he was one and a half. He bought his own diapers that week. <laughs> and and me and his mom got a 20 sack. Oh, there you go. Oh, my goodness. So what's going on with your book? You've been working on this for a couple of years now, yeah? Okay. it's It's pretty much all done. It's sort of like the story of my life, but it's more like pulp fiction because it's all done out of order. So I just tell a bunch of short stories of crap that happened to me all out of order. And then in the end, it sort of ties into this great big, there's a murder and SWAT team and helicopters. And my, uh, my publisher told me that he admires the quality of my problems. 
<laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. You told me that when we were in, in Reno trying to get my girlfriend's sister out of jail for murder. He admires the quality of your problems. Well, it's like, oh, whatever shall I do? How will I pay the rent? That's a normal problem. Or whatever shall I do? My phone is not working today and the Wi-Fi is down. Those are normal people problems. Uh-oh, here, there's dogs across the river. Somebody's over there dead and the whole place is on fire and they want to ask me some fucking questions. That's a real problem. <laughs> that is a real problem. <laughs> or anything you can solve with money, that's a normal problem. Because, like, let's say you have just been trying to hop on a train and you accidentally slipped and you fell off and your legs got run over by the train, cut off, and you didn't bleed to death, so now you got to live the rest of your life like that. That's a real problem. <laughs> That that is something a bit more, more to deal with than just you know I ran out of milk and I need to go to the store. That happened to this kid in 1980 when we were kids, and a bunch of there was like three of them down there in Tacoma on the bay and trying to hop a train. Woohoo! Let's hop a train, and that's what happened to the kids. Like that's why it kind of sticks in my memory. He's still alive. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I know his life changed and he had a real problem after that. Because before that, you know, I don't think he probably had any real problems. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that would definitely be a life-changing experience. I mean, because if, if you don't, why would you hop a train unless you're just doing it for fun, you know? I mean, in that situation. Yeah. So anyways. Is that in the book? No. No. I, if I put everything in the book, it'd be like about 1,600 pages at least. I got, <laughs> I got like 330 and I was trying to cut it down. There's a bunch of important stuff I had to leave out. So what's something that you left out that you wish you could have put in the book? Um, Something I left out. <sighs> well, see, that's part of the process of writing the book. I start, I had all the stories, so I made a list of all my stories before I started writing. It's like, And then I checked them off as I wrote them. So, and then some didn't get in, some of it changed and then stuff started happening too. So I was writing from the past and writing from the present at the same time. It's all fluid. Some of the stuff that didn't get in would, well, so much stuff happened to my fucking band. And then like, it's not all my story. I'd be, I'd be snitching or telling on somebody if I told stories, you know? Well, and this book isn't really about your band specifically. It's just more about things happening well, yeah. in your life. I mean, I got like ep excerpts from stuff we did because we did a bunch of cool stuff. But it's like, it's my hand has five fingers and my band is like my thumb. <laughs> That's what it is in the story. So yeah. that makes sense. So then I just slap my own self with my own hand, all five fingers, pow, so just like that. <laughs> Keeps me from using my hand on other people. That's good. Well, I find if you're trying to, if you're trying to do damage and, and hurt somebody, it usually just, oops, it's usually just me. So pretty much the stuff that's left out is things that would take away from you telling your story and kind of delves into other people's stuff and you'd just rather just tell your story. Sort of. And, and plus, like, there's so goddamn much. When I'm put on the spot, it's hard to remember because there's so fucking much. I mean, I'm 57 years old and I've seen and done a lot of shit. One that got left out that I even wrote and it got left out in the editing, and I don't even know where it happened, was me and my partner Thomas were... Uh, at a party one time in Tacoma in a, at a house on Stadium Way. Um, the part going up the hill towards the thing that they're working on right now, putting in the light rail, whatever. But there was this house there that's not there anymore. And there was this huge party and it was the 70s and we were having a lot of fucking fun. And, you know, there were girls and drugs and no rules. And, you know, it's like a 70s party, a bunch of kids, high school and stuff. So anyways, me and my partner Thomas were upstairs. Thomas is black. And, um, we went upstairs and uh, 
we were smoking pot with these girls and stuff. That's when the cops came and we were in the attic. So we just locked the door and started watching out from the window and seeing what was going to happen. Just like always, the cops came. No, no, no. Hey, you're not damn kids. Blah, blah, blah. So like the kids um, all started going out of the house and there's all, you know, some were running, some were not. Fucking, the cops were like banging on all the doors. And came, they came upstairs and banged on our door too, but we just shut up and it was locked. So they just went away. So me and Thomas were looking out the window and um, they got this one friend of ours named Chuck Taylor. And he was black too. And he was leaving the thing. And he must have talked some shit. Well, because, you know, it's like, he's he was funny. And he was a good-hearted person, you know. He probably was talking shit. So he went outside and um, cops grabbed his ass and fucking slammed his ass fucking face for his back of the fucking cop car and started beating his ass with fucking clubs while me and Thomas were sitting there watching. It was the first time I ever seen a black man getting beat by pigs. And uh, it didn't feel right. And, um... Fuck, there was nothing I could do about it. Cause like, you know, fuck, well, we're next. You know what I mean? And uh Um, so I sat there and watched that shit for a while and uh I've thought about it ever since. Cause like, you know, it's like when people watch Rodney King get all fucking beat up and stuff, they're all, oh, how in the world could that happen? I'd seen that shit so many times by that time. It's like, you fucking idiots. What do you mean how it happened? Let me let me walk you down the street for a minute and show you what happens right here, right now. You know, it's like so I, that should be in, but I left it out because there's a lot of stuff like that that uh, affects who and how I am and what I do to what I'm presented with by the people around me. So it's safe to say that you probably don't trust cops. Oh, fuck cops. In, in all <laughs> cases. My whole life, I met one cop. I was getting out of jail and the motherfucker handed me a cigarette. And I was like, whew, this cop gave me a fucking cigarette. Holy shit. There's, there's good cops. No, no, there's not good cops. Fucking, for one, he was giving me poison. Something's gonna kill me. So, you know, <laughs> if you think it all the way through, fuck that cop. So, yeah, no, I don't like cops. It's part of being a criminal. Yeah, I, I, it's so weird for me because I still, you know, I mentioned in the last episode, like, uh, I believe that you know, racists are people. I don't agree with their politics. And I, I do believe that cops are people and I don't like their politics. Although I have a lot of friends that um, will say all cops are bastards. I don't understand why anyone would want to be a police officer. To me, it feels like you're just signing up to kill people. The first drummer for Burning Flag, he was uh, his officer, Dan Woolick. He's sitting there drumming for us and stuff. He's like, I want to be a cop, right? I'm like, why? And he's like, I want to drive fast. I want to shoot guns. I'm like, oh God. That's, that's the wrong reason to become a cop, Dan. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to catch you with some marijuana. I'm going to tie your thumbs up. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. He became a sheriff, saw him on cops a couple times. He's a good guy, but he's a fucking cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my first um, experience to the reality of police brutality, it wasn't, I was the only kid that was mixed and uh, everybody else was white, but it was after a party in Portland. We were, uh, lined up by about three or four cop cars and uh they changed the story three or four times um they said that we matched the profile for someone who had tagged up the wall to this business and then it you know turned into it was tagging a phone booth with a sharpie what what, damn kids yeah it was those damn kids but uh they slammed my friend into the police car car started screaming at him stop resisting stop resisting while he's screaming i'm not resisting they broke his wrist threw them in the car. They rounded up everybody who had warrants or anything out and they were just doing a shakedown and, you know, 
That's a good night's work. Being dicks to fucking exude power. It was it was really it was it was very eye opening for me. Um, these are the same cops that you know drug another one of my friends down the road by their horse and. Uh, are these Oregon cops? Oregon cops, yeah. Oh, broke geez. her arm during a riot, and uh, oh, we're hoping dragon. they were hoping to kill her. So um, they should have, because she's got a story to tell. Right? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the police force. I have friends who are former cops, and I have friends who are cops, but I guess I say I don't hang out with them on a regular. So it's a weird kind of conundrum because I try to be friends with everybody. But at some point, I think that when you come down to the brass tacks of it all, they're going to do what's in their nature and they're going to turn against you in most cases. Well, see, the, the, way, the, way, the way I got my thoughts about cops arranged pretty young, actually, is I made a study out of comedians and um. Lenny Bruce got this skit where uh, he explains the 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 origin of cops, and he said, like for instance, how it starts out. The first law is religious law, so it's like, okay, we eat here, we shit here, and we throw our garbage here, right? So that's religious law, and everybody in the village they just do that. That's how we do it. It's culturally, it, you know, our kids do it, grandkids keeps going just like that. Well. One night, you know, they're having like a religious party over there, all celebrating. But one of the guys is over there trying to sleep, right? And somebody's dancing around, throwing a fire, and then they they throw throw some garbage on him. And you know, he's pissed because well, the garbage goes over there. It's religious law. See, that's where secular law comes in because now there's this dude trying to sleep while everybody else is partying, and you know, for some reason, those sleeping guys usually are the ones that got the money. Well, so what he does is he buy he buys the cop. You know, he gets some big guy to go over there and fucking you take care of this one. You see him you, if it's night, we eat here, we shit here, and we throw our garbage here. And if anybody does anything different, I don't care if it's your mom, your uncle, your grandpa, you throw that motherfucker in jail. So it's like the cop, you know, and, and Lenny Bruce is funny. He's just like, yeah, but don't do it when I'm around, okay? You go do do, do that stuff. And like, I'm too. I got to go in the other room while you're doing it. I don't want anybody to see me doing this shit. So it's like, it's a skit. And it's like the cops, they're basically, of course, they're they're the tool of wealth. And if you don't have it, uh, you're at its mercy. I mean, they, that's why they can just beat black people because they ain't got no money. They ain't got no power. We just beat you and kill you. And they didn't, they're not even going to really put me in jail. If I, they do, I'm a fucking hero. Well, yeah, that's the Lenny Bruce take on this shit anyway. You should watch it. It's on YouTube. <laughs> He's a comedian, if you haven't heard of him. Lenny Bruce. Yeah, I am definitely... I think a lot of people have way too much power and I don't believe that they exist to protect and to serve anything but the interest of the person that's paying their paychecks well powerlessness is sort of a uh, sort of one of the diseases that affects our culture because people are so powerless that when you're the girl who's a bank teller at the thing and the guy comes in to get his money your power that day is keeping him from his fucking money or tripping him up or whatever it is rule you got over there that's going to keep you from serving him up with his money you're going to do it that's your power or you could be the person to McDonald's or at the car shop or at the art store. All these people that have jobs, that's that's what they base their power in life in is what their what their job is. It's like, as they say, hey, so what do you do? And then they start talking about their job. They don't start talking about their life ever. They're talking about their job, you know, and that's where they derive their power from, which is really just another form of powerless powerlessness to me anyway, because uh, yeah, you're the bank teller. It's like, listen, 
where's the vice president? Where's the president? I'm going to go talk to someone who's got some real power here because it's your job just to fuck with me. So powerlessness in our society stems from that kind of stuff because our real power comes in our, in our ability to take what's inside of us that we think we're alone with and put it into some sort of product and find out everybody else feels that way too. I think that's where music comes in. Art, all of it, the best. It all comes from that. It's like I sit here and I write a song because, oh, I feel bad about this or I feel happy about this, blah, blah, blah. But it's me having the feeling and I'm describing my feeling. Has nothing to do with none of y'all. And then the dude calls me up shedding tears because my song fucking hit him in the heart. I'm like, ooh, eh, that's cool. I know from doing my solo project, I get... You know, every time I play, I always have somebody that it connects with. And it it's weird because everything comes from a place of pain for that project. And it's like a relief and a sadness at the same time because someone is relating to what I've put out there. And it it's heartbreaking that they can even have any experience that is shared with that. But at the same time, feeling less alone is pretty amazing. And that is something that comes out of the power of music and the power of art is just feeling less alone in this world. That was one of the things that allowed me to start selling my paintings was because, well, like with 13 Scars, we were running around touring all the time and stuff. And um, I had my paintings in the back and after a while because I was painting at the same time too. And so I just stacked the paintings in the back and try to keep my band from spilling drugs on them and shit. That was an issue right there because these idiots are just ruining my shit. God damn it, that's a thousand dollar painting, you idiot. I really never sold paintings my whole life, even though I've been you know, painting my whole life. And it's like, once I was running around on tour and stuff, when you're on stage and you're performing as a persona and people believe that persona is you and it's a crazy nut man that, how could I even talk to that person? What the hell? It just blew fire or whatever it did. You know, it's like, you know, it's, they, it's you can get a connection with that person who's singing rock and roll, but sort of in a distance and almost in an altruistic way where you either get to pretend you're it for a minute or you're running around the pit letting off your own energy or something like that. But uh, a more human connection, especially with like a chaos creating type singer like I do, it's like uh, it's harder to, for people to get a connection because like, well, what really do they have in common with that in that case? You know, and since I never sold paintings anymore and then started selling them as I was um, torn around, I because what, what I noticed was the connection that these people couldn't get from me when I was fucking singing and doing nut shit. Um, they could get when I was from me with my paintings, because it's like suddenly instead of being in my stage persona, I'm talking to the person about painting and paintings and art and stuff like that, which is a whole different character and, and role that I play and it's like it's more of an affluent type of thing instead of a uh, I'm from the street type of a thing so it's like you can connect with different people and I realized that like a lot of art especially with my paintings people buy art to connect with the with the painter you know it's like they get a connection that way in the same way like I said with you write a song and the person feels it and stuff like that it's really really strange especially because like I watch a lot of artists struggle with it because they're all trying to find out where their audience is and where their skills and their and their style is and all that kind of stuff and really a lot of artists don't know how to do business and really business is all connecting with with the market and 
enticing the market and seducing the market. And, and then, you know, like scarcity drives prices up and stuff like that. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't understand because you're so in your fucking head and you got to paint it out or whatever you got to do. There's the way, the way to make this happen is to find a way to really connect with people. And like, part of that is you have to be genuine and honest. You can't run around fucking like if you do some dumb shit, you have to own it. You can't just fucking do dumb shit and say, I didn't do any dumb shit. Cause the next thing you know, you're the fucking president. <laughs> I got to deny it all. I just, yeah, no witnesses. None of this shit. Hey, sky's not blue. It's, 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 well, it's plaid. I love your rants. I'm not ranting. No, I know you're not. I mean, I think to someone who, who doesn't know you very well, it would seem like a rant, but it actually all makes sense. I think, I guess, I love your, I love the way that you connect the dots to get to the point, I guess, is more what I'm trying well, to say. That their little spiel is all one thought process, thought all the way through point. And it's like, I didn't just make that shit up just now. I've been sitting around thinking about this shit. <laughs> you know why would somebody want to buy a painting from me i paint like a kindergartner it is connecting with the artist i know that like i own a lot of your fucking paintings some that you've given to me as gifts and some that i've purchased from you i think that maybe if i didn't know you i probably wouldn't own as many as i do so you know but i do understand a lot of the stories behind your paintings and so for people like you the paintings that you own of mine are a hedge against my death because we have a connection anyway either way all beyond any of this. So it's like the paintings are just a hedge against my death. It's like, cause when I'm gone, it's like, uh, grab painting and that's cool. <laughs> when you're rich and, or not rich and famous, but when you, when you die and everybody knows who you are, it's just my collateral for my retirement plan. Exactly. Well, you, but you'll never sell it. No, no. See, so it's like, it's worthless, priceless. Priceless. Priceless is good. I wouldn't say worthless. See, because then it really becomes something really expensive after you die, too. Because somebody gets a painting that I painted that you owned, and there's not very many of those. That's scarcity. It drives the price up. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. That's, you think so, so much deeper. I guess not more deeper than I do. You just... The things that... The topics that you think in depth, I'm just like, fuck, I'm not... I don't even think about what's going to happen when I die or when the people I know die after I die. That's like such a, such a long, I don't know. Well, think about it. Some lives that are lived resound through history. We all know who Caesar is. Yeah, that true. motherfucker was a real live flesh and blood, had problems, need to eat and shit person. Yeah. And his life and the shit, the Rubicons he crossed ring throughout the centuries. Some people live that way. I, I want to. Yeah, somebody once asked me, then I asked me, he just kind of looked at me and he goes, I wonder what the end result is with you. And I was like, what? He's like, your life. I was, I think I was 22 at the time. And he's like, I had shared with him some things that I'd been through. And he's like, you have such an interesting life and you're barely out of, you know, you're, you're, you're still a baby. He's like, I wonder what's going to happen at the end. Like, what's the end result? And I look back and it's funny because most of the time I think my life was pretty fucking boring. But to me, it was boring. Although when I kind of look back, I guess I wonder what exciting would be to me if I thought my life was boring. 
but it will be, I guess, interesting to see what the final story is. Well, see, that's the whole thing, though. Is like you gotta, you can't just fucking judge it on points throughout while it's being lived. For one thing, because life is an arc, and you are not now what you were ten years ago, and ten years before that, and what you will be in ten years. Thankfully, although the core of you will never change. You're always, always who, what you are. And in all those situations, it's just, you refine that as you go along. It's like, listen, this time I'm not stepping into dog shit. Okay. I know it's dog shit. I tasted it. I tasted it. It's dog shit. I'm not stepping into this time. I'm tired of this shit. And you guys over there, you don't step in a dog shit either. Except for <laughs> every fucking time. Man, there's this saying, this chick told me one time, she said, more girls should listen to Brad. It's like, I try to keep it like that because like it, when I'm filling people full of bullshit, well, it's a joke if I'm filling people full of bullshit, but it's like, otherwise, if I'm trying to tell you something that I mean, and it's like, uh, this is what you could do to make your shit just a little bit snappier and brighter. I'm giving you good advice. And if I don't have good advice to give in a situation, I'm not going to give any advice because that, that's when you're supposed to listen. Well, I know that many a porch talks, especially after really hard tours, I'm fucking grateful to have you in my life and grateful to have you as someone to bounce things off of. Because I know for most people, if I had shared even half the shit that I fucking lived on the road, one, they wouldn't fucking get it or they would just be super judgmental or why did you fucking do that anywhere? Why did you put yourself in that situation? But I could actually talk to you like a fucking real person and kind of sort my head out. And honestly, if it wasn't for porch talks with you after a tour i'd probably be a much different person i figured that's mostly because i ate a lot of lsd when i was 18 <laughs> brad has all the answers because of acid well shit i became the universe once it was really cool and when you come back from that you got there's some certain things that matter more and others matter less i think it's funny that you say you became the universe once when we are the universe all the time so you're still the universe brad mm, no we're, we're part of it yes but separate at the same time I mean, because like I have to stand there and witness this shit. That's from a perspective. When you look at a star and you see the light of the star here on Earth, the light that you're seeing happened. Everybody knows this. The, that light happened light years ago. It was long. I'm watching history. It's already done. And then, yeah, or there's different light. It's it, it's character. It's nature. Is I'm seeing its past, but I'm seeing it right now. I'm well, you know, I'm time traveling at that moment because you could switch and reverse that and be the source of the light and somebody out there is going to see that light you know thousands and thousands of light years from now you know what i mean and then you start thinking about some of uh um einstein's theory of relativity and how that transfers into he made a, a, a speed limit for the universe and that's the speed of light and then we find that neutrinos are just a little bit faster so it's like all these theories and, and views of the universe as it really is, as we will never know it is, as we can only know it is. You, you just see that shit when you're on LSD. And well, what I did was I banged my head on this fucking thing and saw stars passed out in the mud and rain. And there really was a fucking swirl of stars hitting me at that moment. And you just breathe and watch that. Cause like, I'm, I'm not part of the universe in that. I can make a light that will be seen a hundred thousand light years from now, fucking you know, in a different time, I'm not that sort of creature. You know, a star is that sort of a creature. That's well, hey, that's why I want to be a star because that's why you resound through the ages. So, in in many ways, although I'm stuck on a rock that's flying through that spiral, I have to. Well, I'm separate. I'm witnessing it. 
it's like that one time Jose gave me DMT and I, I was caught up in it for the first time for real. And I was like, I can't participate in this. I just have to witness. And then I watched the gods jump around in front of me. And it's like, shit, if I touch it, it turns to mud. So I just got to leave it alone and let it happen. And you become, you're not part of it when you're a witness. You know, is that any deeper for you? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting thing. The difference between being involved and just kind of being a fly on the wall. My son might grow up to be in a band someday and sing. That doesn't mean I have to play guitar in that band or grab the microphone from him to make everybody look at me or nothing like that. I have to witness that shit. I'm not, he's my son. I'm part of it. You know what I mean? I mean, he's, he, I'm in him. He's in me. But it's like, I have to stand aside and witness to him because like we're a separate, separate thing. That, that really is the nature of the universe and part of our conundrum because we're striving to be part of something we're not and be separate from something we've never been separate from. It's just, it's all stupid hippie talk if you ate too much acid. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you don't go too deep into that because you start sounding like a fucking crazy man because I'm not really telling you anything I'm not saying like listen don't drink the poison water I mean because people need simple instructions like that now breathe in then let it out I mean people get paid to tell people that shit that is true fuck breathe I should have uh Went to a different industry. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Teach people how to breathe. Oh, and don't step in dog shit. The simple shit. The really easy stuff. Don't touch the hot stove. It's hot. See, no. It, I find that it's it's much more entertaining for me to say, let's touch the stove. You want to smoke? Let's have a carton. I mean, you're going to rehab, but you stopped by my house. Why did you do that? Uh, uh, mm, uh, I hope not, but too many people are mad at me. I might have done the wrong thing a couple of times. But you still own it, which I think is important. I miss Robbie a lot. Robbie said, he said one time, he said, uh, um, Brad's going to see it as a game. He's never, ever going to let it go. What was that in regards to? Oh, that was Drew bag fucking trying to shut off my microphone because he was fucking tired from the night before and didn't want to be there. And he was running the door and he was trying to give Joey fucking piss drunk a bunch of shit. And we were using his gear. And I had to fucking flop my dick out of my pants and jump on Joey and the bartender because dickhead fucking call himself a punk rocker. Turn my motherfucking mic off, Drew bag. Oh, Jesus. Burn, burn, burn. It's hard for me to like that guy. I know a lot of people like him. I said, yeah, you know, so, some things aren't for everybody. That's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> fake ass fucking fruit boot and punk rocker so jesus man it's it's everybody should be able to be a punk rocker that's fine just man don't turn off my mic i'm gonna marry that shit forever and i do see it as a game and i will never let it go i'm true i'm see i'm not gonna i don't want to kill him i don't want to hurt him or any of that kind of stuff that's not the kind of thing it is you punish people ordinately you know what I mean? It's like he fucked with me by fucking up my show, taking command and taking all my fucking, all my limelight and shutting my fucking mic off. I'm going to teach him the lesson. And there's only one lesson I could teach anybody. And that's don't fuck with Bradley Petrovich. <laughs> don't laugh. It's not funny. It's hard for me not to laugh. I mean, I take you seriously, but I... I, I just... Any, I haven't cracked one joke yet this whole podcast. I know, and I've been laughing the whole time. It's... As I never know 
what to expect from you. And then at the same time, I know exactly what to expect from you. Is well, I, that, didn't, I didn't practice this on the way here. No, you're going to be 100% you, which is why, why I had you on the show. <laughs> so um, we've always had really interesting conversations that always kind of roll around on different tangents and then somehow usually seem to meet up at the end, you know, and so wrap around that's the comedic wrap around you got to do that but then it just it makes me laugh because you know I've, I've been there to witness some of these situations and just i was the fly on the wall you know i was there but i wasn't a part of it so again like that's why i'm laughing because i'm thinking about i'm thinking about that night in particular because that was my birthday uh-huh. that i went out to go see 13 scars play and um and we played 40 seconds woohoo yeah i mean i was i was dealing with my own shit that night and Someone that I used to think was a friend was like hanging out with me and trying to talk to me and like trying to make out with me. And I was like, you need to back off while, you know, I just saw him and his wife, like just said hi and hugged them both, like not even an hour prior. And then she's gone and he's like trying to trying to kiss me and confessing me these confessions that I didn't really need or want in my life. I was going through a divorce. I was having a really hard time. And the last thing I needed was an old friend trying to hit on me and tell me about his regrets about the past with me. And I was just like, I was off in my own fucking world. And I really just wanted- That's nice. How about some pussy? (laughs) I really just wanted to see you guys play. And then that didn't happen. Yeah, then we didn't. That was a weird, hard kind of night anyway. I mean, the juice bag kind of shit, that's some funny stuff or whatever, but it's like- there was always this fucking dynamic in our band where it's like there was a a, a power pyramid, basically. And we all fucking were leaders and stuff like that. But I personally always in situations where I'm doing stuff like that need a kite string because otherwise I'll fly away because I'll just do whatever the fuck I want, not caring about anybody else except for my own goddamn entertainment here because I'm here. You guys are here for me, not you. And it's like when all that shit happened, Matt Shuttle was pissed at me. And, you know, he's hit me a couple of times this as my brother, as my band member, I allow him to slap me, okay? As he's done it twice now. And once he ran up and <laughs> tried to sock me in the gut. And it was like, that was, he's, he's cute. But anyways, uh, he came out from behind the drums. And usually he's able to browbeat me down when I'm going nuts. But Drew just, he's crossed the line. He shut my mic off and stopped our gig all because of fucking nothing. So it's like I was pissed in the moment. And I had the mic and, and the light. You know, it's like, and they're all looking at me. So I'm going to say what I got to say. Matt came out from behind the drums and he's like, uh, Brad, shut up. I was like, no, you can't make me shut up. Fuck shit. This is bullshit. I'm, fuck, I'm not shutting up. And Matt's like, this is what they always did because Sean was pretty much the only one that could really make me stop anything. And it's like, <sighs> fucking Matt said, he said, Brad, look at Sean. So I looked at Sean and usually in the past and in certain situations, throughout my life having known that motherfucker forever i could just look at him and he would give me a look and i couldn't continue i would have to stop what i was doing you know he was just like hey brad what are you doing and he could do that with a look you know what i mean and it's like i looked over there fucking sean you know it's like man he wasn't there you know and it's like stuff had happened and a whole that's what i meant about their stories i can't tell i can't go into what the deal was it's just sean wasn't there you know, it's like I looked at him. He didn't give me the look. So I said, fuck it. Threw my pants down, jumped on fucking Joey Piss Drunk and the bartender and put an end to this bullshit. You know what I mean? Because it's like, and I promise I never get Nick in that band either. Because, you know, it's a shtick. 
And it's, when you do it every time, it's bullshit. You can do that once, okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's like, I, that's not the kind of band I want to be. I want to be in a fucking band where we play music and people enjoy that shit. And the music is good. Not my bullshit fucking destroying shit is good. That's just a cherry on the goddamn cake. But Sean wasn't there. And fucking, uh, man, it, did, it didn't last much longer after that either. Because fucking once, once my fucking kite flows, flies away. And it's like people, I mean, bands are weird. You just fucking you get in a van together, you do a bunch of intense shit, and then it's over. Yeah. Till I say it's not. Fuck! I'll make it. Yeah. Man, I I wore all three of them guitar players out. Josh, fucking Brian, fucking Sean, fucking they wore me out too. And it's like you know, you, you, it's like I don't know. Nothing lasts forever, I guess. I, it's kind of dumb. We still got the band. If I, as soon as I find a guitar player, fucking we, we're playing gigs. Fuck it. And it's even like you say, it's like Brad. I never expected you to be in a shape to come band, and you're just playing gigs around Tacoma. It's like, man, it is hard work getting on the road. And you need a real fist to do it with, you know, five guys that got jobs and stuff like that and fucking kids and do your other thing. I mean, it's just like you can't focus on what needs to be done to hop in the van and really, really fucking hit it because you get in a rhythm and you can't get off the road. No, it's definitely, I mean, I, when I started going on the road, I wound up being on the road pretty much for five years consistently. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't start off that way, but it definitely, you know. It the, grabs you and then owns you. Yeah, it was every opportunity. Like once I went on the road my first time, any opportunity, it didn't matter if it was a good opportunity or a bad opportunity, it was a fucking opportunity to hit the road then and I was fucking gone. Picky though, because it's like, do I really want to go to fucking East bullshit again? No. Well, that's where I'm at now. I mean, even my new band, um, Showing Teeth, we, we haven't left the basement. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't left the basement yet. But, you know, already... I, it's like, oh my God, am I really going to do this again? Am I really going to put myself through this? And, you know, my husband looked at me. Uh, I was talking to him about something recording or something we're, we're trying to get done because we're, we're trying to hit the studio in May right now. And he just looked at me. He's like, I'm really going to miss you when you start touring again. And I looked at him and I was like, babe, like we haven't even left the basement yet. We haven't even played a show yet. And he goes, I know, but it's coming. I know you. And he's right. And if if I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this band. I don't know if we're going to be able to tour. There's a lot of dynamics. There's families involved. And, you know, our drummer's a dad, which is fine. You know, our, our guitarist is a dad. His I'm kids, a dad too. There's no excuse. Well, yeah. But I'm just saying there's different dynamics and everybody sees touring differently. And like for me, it's a job. It's I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, when you're out there having fun. Because like that's the thing. That was part of the thing, the dynamic that we had to go through is like for me, it was work. And for some of the band members, it was vacation. And it's that, always work. That's two different things, really, the way you act in them. Jesus. Yeah. For, for me, touring is work. I mean, there's there's fun to be had. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. you need to make your job fun. But so his work's done. It is fucking work the entire time. I'm already getting a taste of the things I forgot because I haven't been on the road in almost six years and I'm getting a taste of the drama and not from my band, but just outside sources and people talking to me about this band or that band. I go out, I just try, I just want to have a good time. I just want to go out and see a show and somebody's fucking whispering something in my ear and I'm just like, oh, that's right. This is what I'm signing up for. I'm not just signing up to get on stage and play some songs and have some fucking fun. I'm signing up for all this fucking extra shit that I fucking hate yeah. about it <laughs> to fucking get there. See, that's why I'm, you got to remember. I mean, I'm not trying to say what you got to remember or nothing, but it's like, ah, 
13 Scar has been a band 11 years and the best of it is, and this is what you got to remember is what you're going through right now is the beginning, the hungry moments at the beginning, because it's like, you don't know what you're going to be yet. You haven't been on tour yet. You haven't learned how to fucking organize yourself on stage to sound your best and have a process for that. Fucking how we work in the van, what our, what our, what our weird things are about each other and how we like half of us go this way, half of us go that way. None of that has worked out yet. It's all left to the future and it's like and and it's that's part of the charm of it we don't know what's gonna happen yet you know and so it's like to right now the beginning part of it is the most beautiful fucking part of it enjoy that part because after you know you just wait till you guys get rolling and it's like oh jesus i gotta raise this kid <laughs> it's got six eyes seven heads and it won't shut up pretty much yeah the, I, mean, the I remember, when you, I remember when you were driving our van. I said, "I said, Becca, come on, drive our fucking van. Take us to Salem, whatever the fuck we're doing." Uh, so, so like, she was our driver that weekend. Like, it was awesome because finally, finally, Todd. She made him shut up. It was like because Todd would not shut up, and he put your his hands on your everything. Hey, is that your milk? Well, and he kept like he was like right there. Like I'm trying to drive Jesus. down the fucking road, and he was coming up in my face and. That's my box. Like if I, if you Huge ask me to drive for your fucking band, you leave me the fuck alone because I'm driving. I'm doing my job. And when you're up here in my fucking face, like, yeah. She made him sit down and shut up. It was awesome. It's like, oh, we got to take her with us everywhere. Jesus. <laughs> that lasted one weekend. <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's all. That's, it was no, a fun weekend. Nobody really ever went with us more than once. We took a lot of people with us on tours, but nobody ever really went more than once. And that was one of your guys' tamest tours, tour, because you were still just starting out. Yeah, we were good boys. Yeah, you're pretty good. It was a pretty tame tour. Well, that was the beginning, because like the interactions between Sean and Todd started defining what we were after a while, because those guys like to party. <laughs> Fucking music. Yeah. It, it's i'm interested i mean i obviously i'm interested or i wouldn't be down this fucking path like i'm excited to do some real recordings i'm excited to make some fucking music i'm excited to devolve into whatever my persona is going to be on stage and see how i'm just excited to see everything unfold and at the same time i'm i'm a little nervous <laughs> because maybe, maybe i'll drive your van for you and i can tell one of your band members to shut the fuck up <laughs> it's very likely which one which one is it I, I'm not even going to go there. No, Jesus. Well, okay. It'll probably be Sam because okay. we always tell Sam to shut up. See, there's a trick though. Pikey, the king of the pirates, he had this trick. He finally got John Perky to shut up. He squirt him with a squirt gun. I wouldn't do that to Sam. Yeah. I love Sam, but Sam will tell, be the first one to tell you that he, he talks too much and he's going to talk your ear off and he's going to tell you the same thing like 18,000 times. And as long as I don't have to fucking listen, even if you're telling him shut the fuck up he goes no i know you want me to shut the fuck up but i'm gonna keep going <laughs> so it would probably be sam might be a squirt gun though squirt guns work they worked on perky <laughs> he's a little kitty cat though so you know that's how that's why it works oh my god and that fucking guy I, fu I fucked with him too hard a couple of times it's like he's my friend and all that kind of stuff and but he's like so goddamn sensitive and there's stuff that i know and ways that he acts and things that he does that it's just too much for me to let go. And then he wants to fuck my girlfriend too. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so he gets the squirt good. The inner workings of Tacoma drama. I love John Perky. He's like, uh, he was the drummer for Subvert. He's famous. He Listen, he knew Kurt Cobain once. So did half of you motherfuckers. I didn't know his ass. He was from like that some, time. Some weird little kid probably I saw once or twice. I don't know. 
Well, you got recordings. Yeah. You have recordings that nobody else has. Sort of. They're out there and stuff, but man, bootlegging is fun. You get the good stuff. Yeah. You got a lot of bootlegs from the, from what, the early 80s, 70s, late 70s? No, no, no. Actually, my start, it was like when I lived in Seattle in like 1990, because like when the Seattle scene hit and all that kind of stuff, when it was really, really cool, really, really good, I lived there and I was like rich at the time because I was a asbestos air monitor technician at the university of washington so i was making you know like uh you know a thousand bucks a week you know and those are like 1990 bucks so like i was that's a lot of money i could do whatever the fuck i wanted you know we had a nice house and so i bought some like bootleg gear and like that whole seattle thing was happening all around me it's like every fucking it was like living in san francisco every night there's a great show you know it's like and it's somebody different then it's like who my favorite seattle band at the time just depending on who i just saw last yeah, and you got lots of tapes from that era. And then there's afterwards, too, because afterwards, like, me and Sean started working. I got this uh, half-inch 12-track analog machine that we used to take to clubs and, and record off the board. And we were getting, like, really good sound off that stuff. And you take it into a studio. And, you know, we, like, got Seaweed and Zeke and, uh, fuck, No Means No and Day Glows and Dr. No and uh, um, Neurosis and... Uh, Jesus fucking murder city devils. There's just a whole bunch of shit that I got fucking that's nobody's ever heard that shit it just sits on my shelf. And it's weird. Cause I, you know, I, I need to find a way to put that shit out, but it's like, um, I don't know. Somebody's going to find a bunch of a pile of product when I have my heart attack. Oh Jesus. <laughs> that's how you're going to die is a heart attack. You've no, already I don't know. determined fucking, that. No, listen, some girl's going to come over and fucking poison me fucking slowly for a fucking probably take about a year. I'm going to wither away. It's like fucking, it's like in that, that movie, that fucking show playing city. She'll be slapping me. I'll be an old man. My witch is say, shut up, Brad. <laughs> Paying you back for all that shit. You did me. I was in my twenties, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it, I don't know. Fucking. And no matter what happens, there's going to be a female involved in my death. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Women are going to be the death of you. Well, they've been the life of me. I'm sure they'll be the death. <laughs> I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, my, my taste in women, my attraction to Thomas told me it's what it's the way you vibrate people. Brad, you fucking look the way you vibrate attracts a certain kind of person. It's like, mm. yeah, so, I don't know if you could get a Satan girl if you tried. A Satan girl? Sane. Oh, a sane girl? No, I think you could get a Satan girl, but not a well, sane. Well, why would I try, though? Because, like, you know, first first of all, it's like being the kind of person that doesn't have um, normal problems. It's like you can't have a normal girl then because it's like, well, I get really calm in chaos, for one. There has to be some sort of tension if you're going to be with a female because, like, well, you know, that's that's what it, that's why they have a thing called sexual tension. It's like, you know, you don't just, hey, let's fuck and then fuck. It's like, that, I mean, you can do that if you want to, but that's, but there's really no fun in that. You know I mean? There's this other stuff that, that can happen first or during or after, and it doesn't have to happen every time too. It can happen once and then never happen again. Who gives a fuck? But, um, yeah, I, I guess you could bring it down to a vibration, but I do figure that'd be the death of me because, um, I, I. I lose my sensibility. Yeah, you lose your head every time you fall in love. So, yeah, if that's your sensibility or whatever, but I know every time you fall in love that I've seen you go through a relationship, except for one, 
when you chose to leave <laughs> the hat. But like most of the time, I just don't like curly blondes. Okay, most of the time, you completely lose your fucking head over girls, which it always blows my mind that we've had some very profound conversations, and you, there's so much depth to you that we couldn't pull the layers off if we did a radio show every day for the rest of our fucking lives it's called therapy but um, like when it comes to women you always find the craziest fucking chicks like one of your <laughs> favorite quotes is is that you want to find the craziest girl look at the end of my dick or something <laughs> i could go to any town in the whole wide world and find the craziest chick in the world in that town all you gotta do is check the end of my dick yeah that's how it goes that one that's like one of my favorite quotes because it's very accurate i tested that shit and even worked in san francisco holy shit and they got some crazy chicks down there and i found the craziest one holy shit right on my dick oh jesus our van got towed and everything <laughs> jesus that's what i get for parking at double park down there i hate parking in san francisco but san francisco <laughs> is a fucking they live to fucking ticket you and tow impound your fucking shit See, the one thing that Cass fucking took from me is my ability to be with a female and let her bullshit fucking just go by and pass. And like, I know she's lying, but I love her and it's not worth the fight. That ability is gone for me now because it's like, Brad, I'm not wearing contacts. And I snatched the contact out of your eye and say, what the fuck is this? And I can't not do that anymore because it really, see... When you let somebody lie to you and you believe them just for the love and it's like, and you know, and you know, and then you start asking yourself, oh, did I really see what I just saw? And then start convincing yourself you didn't see what you just saw. Man, you go fucking nuts. And she robbed me of that ability. I can't be nuts anymore when I see somebody stepping dog shit. I'm not calling it candy. It's dog shit. I think that's good. I mean, after you said you're 57 years old, so you finally learned something. I know, but fucking, it, it's, it feels good to be in love. And love and romance, it ain't real. No, I'm going to disagree with you on that one. It ain't real. You got you to gotta forgive somebody's everything and really only care about their well-being, even though, man, stop screeching at me. Fuck, you know? I have a really good relationship now, so I can't, I mean, maybe five years ago I would have agreed with you on that, but the fact that, I am in love and I've put in a lot of work and a lot of effort. We both have to get to where we are. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. Well, of course, and it, it comes from a single point perspective. And if you just look at your face, it's all bright and shiny compared to the videos I got. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it takes a lot of work to get there and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that it's not possible for anybody else. I'm kind of just talking about myself. You're just jaded towards love. I don't know. It's, well, it's, it's not real because every time I touch it, it just fucking, it's like cotton candy. It's sweet in your mouth, but it just goes away. And then you got this bad taste in your mouth. You know, it's not real. It's not real candy. I want, I want real candy. Fuck candy. I want meat. <laughs> See, and then that, that's what he goes in. Hey, one of these girls going to kill me because like, you know, I love Cass so much to this very fucking day. That's your ex, right? Holy shit. Well, whatever. Whatever you call it. I'm not... You know, no, we're friends. That was your last romantic interest. Oh, Jesus, I've never loved anybody like that in my life. Shit, she made me cross rivers and in the fucking storm. She, I fucking saved her life. I killed other things. Fucking animal. I never killed a goose before and that kind of shit. And fuck, man, scaling down the fucking cliff. 
every fucking time I saw her, she left me breathless. And there was some weird ass fucking never had to do, never do again mission I had to fucking do right now or else. Jesus fucking, I dropped everything. Man, I'd still drop everything. I'm a fucking fool. Even after the trial and everything. It's not real. This is all in the book too. Well, not all of it, but there's a lot of this in the book. Yeah. I'm glad he's dead. Puppy Boner did us a favor. A lot of people don't like to hear me say that, but man, he was going to, one of us was going to be dead. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad to be alive, but man, when when you go fucking with people, especially out in the woods, they'll kill you. I think with this, truth is definitely stranger than fiction. And there's a lot of this that Brad's touching on that is going to be explained more in depth when his book is published. Man, I was sitting there. It was about, you were there. This is one of my, this story ain't in the book and it should be. Here's the answer to your fucking question. I'm standing there fucking the day after the murder and this goddamn reporter comes up fucking, nine, nine, nine. hey, did you see any shit that happened over there the other day? What the hell? Fucking blah. So he's looking for info and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah, I was the one that like, you know, went across and saved her and stuff. And he's like, oh, really? Well, let me get my camera out and start interviewing. I'm like, no, I ain't telling you shit. And he spent the like next hour begging me to tell him anything. And man, yeah, like Robbie said, I'm a serious game. I ain't going to give it up. I fucked with that guy the whole time. I said, listen, you got a million dollars. I'm not taking it for a peep, you idiot. Yeah, but don't you want everybody to know? I said, no, I want to go to Safeway tomorrow. I don't want to be able to. I don't fucking Jesus. God, I don't want nobody knowing this bullshit and tell you for nothing. I'm going to write a book about this shit. He's like, you're sitting there begging me and begging me. It would stop. And it's like at the moment, because I was frozen from from going through a fucking traumatic fucking save your life, murder, burn a treehouse situation. The next day to where I was still wrapping my mind around that shit. And I wasn't really capable of, of the moment of like taking that motherfucker off my property, verbally or physically. Either way, it's fine with me. But because like I didn't have the will. It's like, I just, I'm going to stand here and let him fuck with me. I deserve this bullshit. So I'm sitting there and fucking fucking with him and Becca walks up and she drives up because she came to check on me because she knew what happened and she wanted to see what's going on. And she's, she's this reporter motherfucker on me. It was fucking great. I was fucking pissed, dude. It was a fucking vulture and I fucking hate vultures. I told him to fucking go. I winked at her. She winked at me and we both fucked up with him for a little bit, but she kind of grabbed his attention because I tried. Listen, I told him, listen, I used to be in a band with fucking Ted Bundy's little brother, right? And, uh, his Ted Bundy's little brother lived in the house. His mom was there. So every once in a while, reporters would come up to the motherfucker and, you know, hey, knock, knock, knock. We want to interview your mom. And they were they were vicious about it and bullshit about it. So, you know, eventually Ted Bundy's brother was fucking socking the motherfucking reporters off his porch because they wouldn't leave his fucking mom alone. Well, I told that story to that reporter. He's like, well, I don't want that. I'm like, well, me neither. I'm glad he left. <laughs> He left me his card and said, call me when I want to tell the story. I was like, oh, And then you gave me the card. Yeah, I was like, oh, fuck, man. I don't need to be on the news again. I've been on the news so much. I'm trying not to be on the news. Jesus. Yeah, no, nothing Nothing pisses me off more than when someone is going. I mean, you were extremely, probably in the most vulnerable place I've ever seen you. And it was heartbreaking because I understood the gravity of the situation. When I saw what was going on in the news, I knew immediately that somehow you were involved. And oh, yeah. I went and checked on you and seeing that motherfucker there 
it just filled me with rage. I mean, it was everything I could to be as nice as possible and just tell him you need to leave. You know, I think that was my first experience ever with PTSD because, like, that was the next day after that shit happened. And it's like, I hear a lot of people talking about PTSD and whatever. And, and they, and I understand, but it's like, I'd never really felt it before. And in that moment, that's where I started to learn because it's like, I could talk, I could walk, I could fuck with this dude, but I couldn't fucking be me. I couldn't lift the finger to fucking, like I said verbally or, or physically remove him from my fucking presence because like i'm not afraid to do that shit yeah i know i'm a little midget you know and all that kind of stuff Brad, I just do all, blah, blah, blah. yeah okay try me yeah but when i saw you god you were in no condition to deal with fucking anybody i mean ptsd or whatever like you were fucking completely broken is the best that i could describe what i saw when that I shit i heard man my girl's off to fucking jail somebody was off to the hospital somebody's off to jail and somebody's dead and it's like my life just will change right there right then it's like fuck everything i was trying to do is done all over a chick too see that's what i'm saying man that, what i did with her what I, and what i do with her in my head right now it's that shit it's it's love and that's why it ain't real that's why i say it ain't real because it's like well for one thing it's gone now I mean, she hates my guts now. I'll save her life twice, you know? So trial's over. Puppy boner's going to get out. Rape kid's dead. Ha! I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of, man I, man, I used to fucking hate puppy boner. And, you know, I walked around talking about fucking how he was the murderer and shit. But I never heard his fucking story. I only saw what I saw and I heard what Cass fucking told me. But then when I went through the trial and shit, I'm watching and listening to 1,500 emails between the three of those motherfuckers. You know what I mean? And, you know, when I was on the witness stand, they asked me, well, do you like pep, pup, Puppy Boner? And I'm like, no, I never liked his fucking ass. I'm like, neither one of them. I'm like, none of these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Because, like, well, they all thought we were friends or some shit like that. But it's like, um, oh, see, that's part of what, when you get old, you lose your point and stuff like that. But no, I was at the, uh, the, the puppy boner part of it the reason I, I i didn't see here's my point he uh i never heard his story until he was on the stand you know and it's like man i believed him you know what i mean because like his whole story was different than the three stories she told you know and it's like um it was self-defense and i could see that shit because rape kit was a fucking i i was gonna kill him i had plans okay i'm being honest with you i didn't do it okay I got restrained. I can restrain myself. I've been, I've been doing it my whole life. You don't just do everything you think, Brad. Fuck. If I did, I wouldn't be here right now. You know, but yeah, I can't wait to see Puppy Boner again because he got off on everything. He's just going to have, he pled to a year and a half because they had no evidence. The whole goddamn thing was fucked up. And I, I believe the fucking rape kit did shoot at him first and fucking, and he fucking blasted him. I, you know, a lot of his story don't make sense either, but you know, when he gets out, you know, I'm fucking, I'll probably see his fucking ass. And that's, I got to tell him, just do, you did us all a favor. Because he did. I mean, it says in the emails, rape gets like, I'm going to tie her up. I'm a grudge fuck you. Grudge fuck her right in front of you. So, so he's going to tie Cass up and he's going to fucking grudge fuck her in front of puppy boner. And then, and so, oh Jesus, this trial is fucking silly. The fucking prosecutor attorney goes, I object. I don't, I don't know what the meaning of grudge fucking is. And the judge is like, ah, it's pretty self-explanatory. I'm like, oh Jesus. But you know, that fucking shit pissed me off and he's dead. And there's nothing I can do about it. 
But it's like, that's the kind of motherfucker he was. I called him Rape Kit for a goddamn reason. You know, I give people nicknames. I give them the nickname, the motherfucking nickname they earned. He's Rape Kit. <laughs> Puppy Boner did us a favor. Man, whole thing just makes me sad. I'm not, you know, I like being in love. I'll try it again, maybe. I gotta find a chick that's crazier in Castle. That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be scary. Dude, you seen fucking I level up every time. Now what? <laughs> I don't even know if that that's not the kind of leveling up that uh Well, well my life is a lot more calm than yours, definitely. I think I, I don't have any real problems compared <laughs> comparatively. None of this is really a problem and my life is actually pretty calm. I just sit around paint all day and raise my kid through high school. That's all I'm really doing. Yeah. There's just this swirl of chaotic energy that just tends to dip in and out of your life from time to time. My neighbor Jake told me that fucking the way I'm supposed to look about uh, what happened was, well, I spent like four or five, six years out there, whatever the fuck, learning how to be in the country and do the river and fucking be a capable fucking man out in the fucking out in nature and shit like that. And then everything, how to walk in the dark, fucking how to fucking swim and fucking not get fucking swept away by the rapids, how to fucking not get lost in the wood, all that shit I learned up to a point fucking, you know, Jake's like, Brad, that night you were here that whole time just learning how to be there that night. You were the instrument of God. Now you got to go away. I'm like, oh, the Jesus. instrument of God? Well, Cassie was over there doing that stuff and that shit was going to blow eventually. And I'm the one that fucking saved her. Yeah. And... Carry her the fucking, carry the fucking ass out of there for the fucking last time. She's alive now. Somewhere doing something. That's a crazy fucking life. <sighs> Ain't done yet. Yeah, so Brad's book is called The Last Laugh. He's currently in the final, well, you already did the final editing process, right? <laughs> yeah, I just gotta figure out a way to uh, format the crap and get it printed. And my publisher, Up Yours Records, Matt, he's gonna put it out and try to sell as many as we can so when it starts off i think the first story is you talking about shoving your finger up your girlfriend's butt to help her oh, no, relieve herself or did you did you did you change the first story not change the order but yeah that's in there well yeah so where, where does the book start uh starts with you uh, first i got an intro from you and then uh um fuck it starts with uh oh i give a little intro from me just a little spigot about like i start to end you know, I call it the end and I was like, here I am on the porch. What's bullshit happened? I'm going to tell you a story about it. And then, um, fuck, what do I, oh, the first story is about when I was ice skating with, uh, Bobby Kennedy, that, like, uh, when I was a kid, Floyd Center in Portland. And then he, uh, he was on his little trip trying to be the president and he left Portland, went down to San Francisco and got shot. And I made the, uh, Walter Cronkite news that night. I was fucking stoked. It was the beginning of, Hey man, spotlight, put it on me, man. Love this shit. Well, that's interesting. So it starts off with you being on the news and then it ends with you avoiding being on the news. Wow. I didn't even notice that until just now. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, so it starts off with him ice skating and it ends with uh, your wow. your outsider. There's a lot of that wraparound shit in there that I didn't mean to be there that's in there. Like um, the time me, uh, me and Micah and Cass and Sean's girlfriend went out to her ass in the treehouse and um we saw a cockfight because she had two roosters out there and it was like uh they were fighting there wasn't nothing we could do about it so it's like there weren't you know no knives and it wasn't gambling or nothing like that this is 
cocks fighting over chicks in the fucking wild. So we stood there and watched them and they fought for a good half hour running around the woods. And, you know, like uh, Egbert, the big black one, he was kicking the fucking the, um, Mr. Fancy Pants' ass, the little pretty one, you know what I mean? And like, it was weird. They were like boxers. The Mr. Fancy Pants dropped his wings and everything when he started getting tired and they rest from him and they flurry and kick each other's ass again and stuff like that. And all over a fucking female, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what was, and me and my son are watching that and fucking, after that fucking we had to separate and stuff like that and my son we went over there cooked dinner with one of the one of the chickens anyway and my son's like hey Michael's like i was promised a death so uh his shit fucking um um sean's girlfriend she wanted to be the one to kill a goose so she gets a knife i'm holding a goose and she's holding she's holding a knife in the head and stuff like that she bounces the stupid knife off the off the goose's neck and it's like the goose is like holy shit what the fuck's going on i'm like give me that cut that motherfucker's head off just like fucking smashing the guitar. You got to mean it or it's going to bounce back up at you. You got to fucking mean it when you do shit like that. So anyways, I tell that story. And then later on in the book, fucking it's Cass and playing the males against each other in the woods. Just like that cockfight. It's almost like a precursor in the book. It's like I was reading it later on. I was like, wow. It's like, this is foreshadowing. Yeah, it's weird how it all worked out too because I didn't plan it this way. It's like sometimes you ever feel like somebody's directing your life? Sometimes it's weird. It's like, cause I feel like I got a charm life and it's like, I don't really have to make any decisions and plan any future. It's like, all I got to do is the next right thing, which is what my sister told me to do. Do the next indicated stuff. That's something that, um, they taught in AA. Yeah. That's in a stuff. And yeah. My sister's, uh, do the next indicated stuff. Yeah. She's powerful. That's part of living in the moment and not future tripping is to just do the next thing so what you know this is where you are now what's the next step power is being a fucking machine guns and meth fucking labs and then the next thing you know fucking you're in a car with nothing and years later then you built an empire with real stuff like houses and businesses and stuff like that that's real power i admire my sister she did that shit it's like so it's like you know a lot of that na stuff is like i'm not i'm not a day counter and I haven't really done any drugs or I smoke pot. Eh, I don't really, I don't really drink. I'll drink if we play a show or something like that, or rarely or some wine or something like that. But you know, it's like, and well, <laughs> fucking uh, Nicole, my son's mom, she's like, oh, you don't do drugs anymore. And I said, no, I don't do drugs yet. You know what I mean? So it's like, who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. But like, I, 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 I like the NA fucking, I've had some arguments with, uh, few different people and I, I some of the concepts are good for everybody but for me I have to I have to do this shit between my ears I can't do it in public like for instance I don't really envision anybody listening to this shit that you and I are saying I'm just saying it to you right <laughs> well I do get at least 10 listeners so there's 10 people that are gonna hear this oh Jesus <clears throat> <laughs> you know at least 10 people will listen and Maybe shut off halfway through because it's just a crazy old man fucking spilling. Yeah, okay, boomer. Whatever. But, I mean. 20th century man, go rape something. Jesus, what's wrong with you? I've known you long enough that. <laughs> Spill some oil in the river. I've known you long enough and I've seen enough shit to know that. Kill your, whales. Your book is definitely a lot of truths that probably a lot of people don't want to be told. <laughs> my editor thinks I'm going to get sued. She thinks Flash might sue me. Um, I left some names out. She said I should change Cass's name, but I just couldn't do it. Because, well, one of the chapters is about 
the name Cassandra and what that means, how it worked out and played out in the gods. And that's part of the integral about part of the stories is like, she says that her name means that men won't believe her. And I promised I would always believe her, which is a fucking trap. Cause that's, that's like license to lie. It's like, I'll always believe what you say. And it's like, but, but you're lying. Oh my God. What am I supposed to do with this? So when's it coming out? Uh, as soon as I figure out how to do this goddamn computer technology in a web's bullshit, I'm fucking, like I said, I'm from, I remember before people walked on the moon. I was wondering if we was going to walk on the moon. <laughs> I watched that shit on TV. It's the old man Rivers trying to figure out some technology. Yeah, so it is. Kindle Pro Dynamic, with a KDP, whatever the fuck that is. I got to input the shit and then figure out how to get my page numbers on there and make a cover and do it by myself and have a bunch of questions and nobody answer them fucking Jesus fuck. I like the three pronged way of learning where you, where you like talk about it, discuss it in class, read about it and then take a test on it. And it's like, there's multiple ways that fucking put that information and knowledge into you. You know, nowadays it's like, you just trust just, just you and the computer, you know, the isolation and compartmentalizing of what we are now as we operate in this culture is, is dangerous. I mean, I could just swipe, right? I don't even, what, 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 what love i just you know that tinder stuff 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 like that it's just, it's just, if you need to fuck just go fuck you know and it's like well then after a while it's like really that is all i need because i love myself i barely love myself I, I need to go make some money you know it's like and it, you, that isolates you and compartmentalizes you and stuff like that and it's like trapped in my i do it i'm trapped in my living room painting you know i don't want to go to no shows because my fucking body don't work no more and it's bullshit don't get old don't catch arthritis that's my advice <laughs> <laughs> don't get old don't catch arthritis do some shit before that and then just call it a day jesus god that's why i ran so hard 10 years ago fucking being a nutcase when i was 50 because shit i thought i was gonna die tomorrow and now you're almost 60 this dude in the hospital when i was in the hospital in, in the 80s one time he told me you better quit smoking you might live longer than you think you will <laughs> it's like oh jesus what the fuck He's, oh jesus um, i don't want to think about it so yeah you can catch Brad, he's always around somewhere. Um. If you're lucky at this point, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sit in my living room and paint and ignore all you motherfuckers. But he is releasing his book, The Last Laugh by Bradley Petrovich, sometime within the next month or so. He's been pretty motivated. The final draft is done, so I know he's going to... Oh, you'll, my book's going to drop. Don't worry. I'm not one of those, hey, I'm writing the book. Guys, nah, hey, my book's dropping. Yeah. Uh, he's also got his Evil Ted project and 13 Scars. You can find that stuff online. I will play music on stage for you if you're goddamn lucky. I will sit there with my guitar and hassle and heckle every last one of you fucking idiots. I don't care how nicely your hair is combed. <laughs> I'm going to find a guitar player and start with 13 Scars or I'm going to make either Lord Byron, Sean, or Josh do the work. I'm tired of these motherfucking lazy bastards. It's time to go to work. Shit, my son's going to be out of high school in a year. I'm going to be free. I mean, because my son can come with us. He can be with me. It doesn't even fucking matter. We do what we want. I don't think he's going to want to come with you. No, he doesn't. He's got his own <laughs> shit to do. I mean, I, I think I think Mike is pretty much done with your shit at this point. He calls me shuffles and he doesn't fucking listen. He doesn't. He, he pats me on the head. That's nice, Dad. Okay. <laughs> so thank you guys for sticking with the uh, sticking with us this far. Yeah, don't listen to me. Listen to Brad. Don't listen to Brad. Um, Step in the dog shit. Do it. Do it. 
Symptoms of a Creative Mind comes out every other Wednesday. Tune in with us in... Nighty night. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs> in two weeks, I will be interviewing Molly Mess from Some Kind of Nightmare. Punk rock, super charged ball of awesomeness. Her and her husband, Shy, have been touring in this band nonstop. Just a whole lot of awesome things coming and kind of... They're going to be in the middle of a tour coming through Washington. So I will be talking with her about what it's like to beat cancer and to put all of you into your passions and into your dreams. So until then, have a great life. Don't.